Welcome to the Let's Talk About It podcast, a modern podcast for the modern society. This show looks at cultural topics from the lens of an African-American male living in the nation as a natural-born citizen, where education, headline news, human rights, politics, and the American diaspora ultimately impact our local and national communities. The premise of this show is to inform and transform our worldview and empower those who are marginalized and oppressed due to the American hierarchy of importance. Nothing is off limits because this nonpartisan program will speak truth to power instead of being politically correct or following a popular narrative. So, if you're ready for what's about to be served, let's talk about it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Let's Talk About It podcast. I'm your gracious host, Maurice Bowers, and you're listening to episode number seven, which is another round of the Random Wrap-Up. This is a mix of topics that I thought were worth having a conversation about, because as my favorite social media influencer, Tabitha Brown, likes to say, that's my business. To all the first-time listeners, thank you for coming into this space, and I greet you with a warm welcome. Stop this episode and go check out our broadcast trailer so that way you can have an idea of what this platform is all about and even learn a little bit about me as the host. Once you've done that, come on back to this episode and make yourself comfortable. After your first time visiting this space, you become a part of the Talk About It pod family. To the family of listeners, welcome back and let's share the ground rules, also known as the listener discretion statement. This podcast isn't for the faint at heart or for those with an agenda to argue what's being shared isn't true or considered fake news. This conversation is going to happen whether you like it or not. It's okay if you become uncomfortable with what you consume. Just try to listen with an open mind. It won't be as bad as you think. The content you receive today is rich in research, meaning what's being shared is facts and not baseless commentary. Let me be more than clear that I have not earned a doctorate of philosophy. I'm not a psychologist nor a therapist of any kind. As such, I'll share my perspective based on my undergraduate education as it relates to the topics being shared. All right, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, today's episode will cover five different topics. Another recent firing by 45 of one of our national officials, why Georgia flipped from red to blue in the recent presidential election, the passing of a MasterChef junior star, an update in the Ahmad Arbery case, and a highlight of two black lawmakers will round out this episode. I welcome you all into my virtual home, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between. Come have a seat at the table, and let's talk about the mix of things on this edition of the Random Wrap-Up. Forty-three-year-old Christopher Krebs was fired on Tuesday, November 17th, as the director of the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity Agency for pushing back against election disinformation. Unfortunately, like most announcements, it came by way of Twitter. The same way 45 fired his defense secretary a week ago and has terminated other high-ranking officials over the past four years. I find myself annoyed by this recent action for the simple fact that if the results had been in his favor, Mr. Krebs would still have his job. The tweet that went out just after 7 p.m. reads, 
The recent statement by Chris Krebs on the security of the 2020 election was highly inaccurate in that there were massive improprieties and fraud, including dead people voting, poll watchers not allowed into polling locations, glitches in the voting machines, which changed votes from Trump to Biden, late voting, and many more. Mind you, Twitter was quick to slap on a warning label that his claim about electoral fraud is disputed. Now that's pretty bad when a social media platform quickly flags your commentary because it recognizes how often you spread lies and bend the truth for the sake of essentially hearing yourself. Last week, Mr. Krebs issued a statement that of course was in contrast to 45 and he even doubled down with the conviction that he didn't care if he was fired for essentially doing his job. He's quoted as saying, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, best known as CISA, sees its first principle as protecting democratic processes, not protecting an individual. And he urged the American public to have faith in the electoral system. It's one thing to fire someone for not doing their job or even causing a substantial destruction of a product or service. But to do it because someone isn't willing to repeat the non-truths that others in your camp freely share is just like a child who doesn't want to be your friend anymore because you don't play the game the way they do or because you lost. Oh, but wait, that's where the problem is. He lost. In case there's any doubt as to what I'm saying, as of 6.45 p.m. Wednesday, November 18th, 45 lost by a total of 5,903,925 votes. As it relates to the Electoral College, that's 306 to 232. It's bad when even senators who belong to your party are against your decision to remove the CISA director. It's not like he cares about what they think because he would fire them too if he had the power, just like he's done on The Apprentice. Senator Shelley Moore Capito told reporters that she didn't agree with 45's decision and said she was appreciative of all of Krebs' work. Senator Mike Round said that he was very disappointed when I found out that he had been terminated. Senator Josh Hawley said that Krebs did an outstanding job in his role, and Senator Ted Cruz said that from everything I saw, it appeared that he did an able job in a difficult and important role. Senator Richard Burr, a Republican from North Carolina, said Krebs had done a remarkable job during a challenging time and that the creative and innovative campaign CISA developed to promote cybersecurity should serve as a model for other government agencies. I personally enjoy Senator Angus King's remarks the most. He's an independent from Maine and co-chair of a commission to improve the nation's cyber defense posture. He called Krebs an incredibly bright, high-performing, dedicated public servant who has helped build up new cyber capabilities in the face of swiftly evolving dangers. By firing Mr. Krebs for simply doing his job, 45 is inflicting severe damage on all Americans who rely on CISA's defenses even if they don't know it. If there's any silver lining in this unjust decision, it's this. I hope that President-elect Biden will recognize Chris's contributions and consult with him as the Biden administration charts the future of this critically important agency. Although they disapprove of Mr. Krebs' dismissal, 
Many of the Republicans in Congress refused to congratulate both President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris, and they largely support 45's efforts to sow distrust in the outcome of the election. Now, while I feel sorry for Mr. Krebs in losing employment during these challenging times, I believe that he will find another job soon as his work precedes him positively, and he's certainly educated. Mr. Krebs holds a bachelor's degree in environmental sciences from the University of Virginia and a Juris Doctorate from the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University. He's also a former member of Microsoft's U.S. Government Affairs team as the Director of Cybersecurity Policy, where he led Microsoft's U.S. policy work on cybersecurity and technology issues. Under the Department of Homeland Security, he has served as the Senior Advisor to the Assistant Secretary for Infrastructure Protection and playing a formative role in a number of national and international risk management programs. In March 2017, Mr. Krebs served as senior counselor to the secretary, where he advised Department of Homeland Security leadership on a range of cybersecurity, critical infrastructure, and national resilience issues. He was then appointed in August 2017 as the assistant secretary for infrastructure protection. In the absence of a permanent MPPD undersecretary at the time, which stands for National Protection and Programs Directorate, he took on the role of serving as the senior official performing the duties of the undersecretary excuse me, for the MPPD until he was subsequently nominated as the undersecretary and confirmed by the Senate the following year. As the first director of the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, he oversaw efforts to defend civilian networks, manage systemic risk to national critical functions, and work with stakeholders to raise the security baseline of the nation's cyber and physical infrastructure. The Women's Inspirational Network is running a drive designed to help 500 children get the supplies they need at Bemis Elementary School in Rialto. If you have resources you would like to share, consider donating to this worthwhile cause. If donating tangible supplies, what's needed most is spiral notebooks, both one and three subject, pencils, whiteboard markers, pencil boxes, highlighters, crayons, colored pencils, glue sticks, scissors, and even privacy drivers for at-home workstations. You can donate funds or supplies by mail to the Women's Inspirational Network at 10808 East Foothill Boulevard, Suite 359 in Rancho Cucamonga, California, 91730. Or you may call 909-532-0713. on Tuesday of this week, Georgia's Secretary of State said that some of his fellow Republicans have tried pressuring him into disqualifying legal ballots that may not favor he who tweets most. Brad Raffensperger faced attacks on his credibility as well as the integrity of Georgia's ballot counts for this recent presidential election, this being the case only because President-elect Biden won that state. Not mincing his words, 
He said 45 has no one but himself to blame for his poor performance in the state. In an interview with NPR's All Things Considered, Secretary Raffensperger said that he had been contacted by South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham's office. Senator Graham implied for us to go ahead and audit the envelopes, the signature on the envelopes, and then throw out the ballots from counties that had the highest frequency of error rates on signatures. I went ahead and I explained our laws. It's pretty clear what Senator Graham, 45, and Attorney Lynn Wood, they're all on the same page, and they don't understand the laws of Georgia. Senator Graham has since disputed Secretary Raffensperger's account of the conversation, saying that he simply wanted to learn about Georgia's signature matching procedures and that the notion he pressured Raffensperger to throw out ballots was ridiculous. Secretary Raffensperger is also quoted as saying, 24,000 people did not vote in the fall. Either they did not vote absentee because they were told by 45, don't vote absentee, it's not secure. But then they did not come out and vote in person. He would have won by 10,000 votes. He actually depressed or suppressed his own voting base. It's worth noting that President-elect Biden narrowly won in Georgia, a state that hasn't voted blue in a presidential race in more than two decades. But consider the fact that 24,000 Republican voters who voted absentee in the presidential primary did not vote in the general election. In my humble opinion, that seems to line up with the fact that people began to recognize that if they don't vote responsibly, we could be in for devastating consequences in terms of the current plague, climate change, our economy, and other important areas impacting the American public. Mind you, that's in just Georgia alone. I wonder how many others across the other 49 states felt in terms of the importance of having a responsible individual inside of the White House and representing us when dealing with other nations. Georgians felt it necessary, just as those in Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Nevada, to flip for the benefit of our nation rather than for their own self-interest. Yet so many people are operating off of pure delusion based on verbal accounts, doctored pictures and videos, and printed publications designed as satire. They share this information knowing it isn't true. Google is really our best friend and can verify anything that is factual or a matter of foolery. But hey, I guess that's how you make America great again, right? Culinary phenom and MasterChef Junior star Ben Watkins passed away on Tuesday at the tender age of 14. It's reported that he had been suffering from a rare soft tissue cancer known as angiomatoid fibrous histiocytoma, a condition that only five people in the world prior to him experienced. According to information posted on the GoFundMe platform, Ben appeared on the sixth season of Fox's MasterChef Junior at the age of 11. While on the show, he rose to the top 24 before making last the top 18. Young Ben was an aspiring chef. At his father's restaurant, Big Ben's Bodacious Barbecue and Delicatessen, he would regularly help out by taking orders, working the register, 
and even selling his own homemade treats, such as cinnamon rolls, cookies, brownies, and banana bread. As if cancer didn't suck enough, both of his parents, Leela Edwards and Mike Watkins, precede him in death from a murder-suicide in 2017. The restaurant closed the month his parents died. That same year, the Miller Beach community in Gary, Indiana, where Ben lived, raised more than $30,000 through the GoFundMe platform to support his dreams in the culinary arts and engineering. But now, that same fund, which as of this recording has raised nearly $205,000, will go towards paying outstanding medical bills according to the family's attorney, Trent A. McCain. This is such a difficult loss, especially as we near the Thanksgiving holiday, and we send our sincere condolences and prayers to the Edwards and Watkins families. As if that weren't enough, while putting together this episode, an alert came across my phone that Bobby Brown Jr., son of R&B artist and producer Bobby Brown, has died at the age of 28. Few details are available surrounding the immediate cause of death, but Bobby Jr. was found dead in his Los Angeles area home. Police responded to a medical emergency at 1.50 p.m. to find the deceased male, according to LAPD Public Information Officer Jeff Lee. Following in his father's footsteps with a music career, he was one of two children from the 11-year on-and-off relationship between Brown and Kim Ward, and ultimately one of Bobby's seven total children. Bobby Jr. dropped his first music single, Say Something, in September. Such a sad story to report, especially as his death comes more than five years after the death of his half-sister, Bobby Christina Brown, who died after suffering irreversible brain damage and spending six months in a coma as a result of being found unconscious in a bathtub at her home in Roswell, Georgia in July 2015. Bobby Jr. is survived by sister LaPrincia, in addition to half-siblings Landon, Cassius, Hendrix, and Bodie Brown. If you're in the mood for a pickle but want to switch it up from the old-fashioned taste, check out Puckered Up Pickles. They have several flavors to choose from, including sweet spicy garlic, mesquite sweet, Hawaiian punch, mango chamoy, peppermint pucker, cherry pucker, blue raspberry pucker, watermelon pucker, and green apple pucker. One pickle sells for $5, a 32-ounce jar sells for $13, and by popular demand, they now offer the gallon. Yes, you heard it right, the gallon, which sells for $40. Whether you're hosting a party or want to satisfy your guilty pleasure every week, this is definitely for you. They are made to order and are available for delivery or pickup or ship for a nominal fee. Get into it. To place orders, DM Puckered Up Pickles on Facebook or Instagram, or you can email puckeredupickles at gmail.com. Again, to place orders, DM Puckered Up Pickles on Facebook or Instagram, or you can email Puckered Up Pickles, P-U-C-K-R-D-U-P-P-I-C-K-L-E-S at gmail.com.
Judge Timothy Walmsley denied bond to the father and son duo charged with the murder of Ahmad Arbery, the 25-year-old black man shot by the son after they chased him down on a quiet road in southeast Georgia back in March of this year. Defense attorneys for Travis McMichael, 34, and Gregory McMichael, 64, argued in court this week that the men were upstanding citizens and that there was no real risk that they would try to flee before trial. They worked to paint Mr. Arbery as a repeat burglar from whom the father, son, and other residents were trying to protect themselves. Their neighbor and co-defendant, William Roddy Bryan, had been denied bail earlier this summer. In June, a grand jury indicted all three men on suspicion of malice murder, felony murder, aggravated assault, false imprisonment, and criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment. In case you haven't heard of this particular story, the McMichaels, who are white, followed and fatally shot Mr. Arbery, who was 25 at the time, who had been jogging in their neighborhood near Brunswick, a city that's about 70 miles north of Jacksonville, Florida. Brian took video of the shooting and told police that he heard Travis McMichael use a racial slur after killing Aubrey with a shotgun. Prosecutors say Aubrey was no criminal, but was merely out jogging and the McMichaels acted as vigilantes motivated by racist views. They also showed the judge photos of a home near the shooting scene that was damaged by gunfire. Defense attorneys for both McMichaels have denied any racist motive in the shooting. The McMichaels claimed they armed themselves and chased after Arbery in their truck because he fit the description of a black man involved in a string of neighborhood burglaries. But subsequent reporting shows no such crimes had been committed in more than seven weeks before Arbery's death. Brian also set after Arbery in his own truck and recorded a 36-second video of the killing on his cell phone. The elder McMichaels, a former prosecutorial investigator and a retired Glenn County police officer, told police he and his son tried cutting off Arbery with their truck, but that he turned to run in the opposite direction. Brian then attempted to block Arbery's path. It's unclear what happened next, but the elder McMichael says Arbery tussled over his son's shotgun before Travis shot him three times. Brian has maintained that he did nothing wrong and was merely a witness to what Arbery's family has called a modern-day lynching. None of the three men were arrested for the killing for 10 weeks during which two district attorneys recused themselves and an investigation by local authorities produced no charges. It wasn't until May 7th, two days after the Georgia Bureau of Investigation took over the case, that the McMichaels were taken into custody and charged with murder and aggravated assault. Brian was charged days later. The deadly confrontation gained national attention after Brian's video was leaked to the public and posted online in May. Aubrey's death became part of the national outcry that forced a national reckoning on race and police brutality after the killings of Breonna Taylor in Louisville and George Floyd in Minneapolis.
host of this show, I'm always seeing various headlines drop down my phone as a banner, whether it's local news or national headlines. Throughout the course of a day, another story is delivered for my review. Well, lucky for me that I have the privilege of highlighting two particular individuals who are making progressive moves in their own right. First, Joelle Jones is a 25-year-old African-American Congress member for Michigan's 11th District and the youngest representative of the state. If that weren't enough to impress you, he got his start in politics at the age of 20 when he was elected to serve as council member for the city of Inkster. And a year later, in 2016, he ran and was successful in securing the seat for the House of Representatives at the age of 21. He has continued running for his seat every two years since and has had continued success in each season. Congressman Jones is a double major in finance and political science from the University of Michigan, Dearborn. He's also a member of the Michigan National Guard, Army Reserve Officers Training Corps, and serves as an Inkster Auxiliary Police Officer. I follow Congressman Jones online, and as he stated in a recent post, in this edition of Black Men Making It Happen, congratulations are in order for Congressman Cedric Richmond, who will be resigning from Congress after a dedicated decade to serve as Senior Advisor to President-elect Joe Biden. Yep, that's right. 47-year-old Representative Cedric Richmond is resigning from Congress to assume a more prominent role after nearly two decades of service, first serving at age 26 from year 2000 to 2011 for the Louisiana House of Representatives, then from 2011 to present as Congress member of the 2nd District for the U.S. House of Representatives. He also served as the chair and leading spokesman of the Congressional Black Caucus from November 2016 to December of 2018. On Tuesday, November 17th, President-elect Biden announced that Representative Richmond would join his administration as senior advisor to the president and director of the White House Office of Public Engagement. He earned his Bachelor of Arts degree from Morehouse College and his law degree from Tulane University. He also completed an executive program at the Harvard University John F. Kennedy School of Government. And in 2019, Congressman Richmond was inducted into the Tulane Law School Hall of Fame. I'm always impressed by the advancement of black men and women within government. And I salute both of these gentlemen on their accomplishments and hope for continued success in their respective futures. come to the close of episode number seven of the Let's Talk About It podcast, and I thank you for tuning in this week. Listening to the sociological perspective of local and national issues in America from the mouth of an African-American man, you are greatly appreciated. As I mentioned in our last edition of the Random Wrap-Up, these episodes will be sprinkled in periodically to address multiple topics all at once. Hopefully you're enjoying the structural mix as we're still trying to navigate what works and even try something new. This episode is also the last new episode for the month of November as next Thursday is Thanksgiving. So we'll be back on Thursday, December 3rd, and we're going to be joined by two guest co-hosts for the episode titled, Who Are You? Where Are You From? 
Thank you for taking time in your busy schedule to listen on your phone, tablet, or even your computer, whether it be from your home, your office, or as part of your commute. Be sure to follow or subscribe to this show on your favorite streaming service. And if you'd be so kind, go ahead and rate us five stars and even review this podcast so we can continue to climb and become more visible across different platforms. Wherever you listen from, share the show with a friend or two and even engage in conversation about what's been shared. That's essentially why this show is titled the Let's Talk About It podcast. It's intended to empower, inform, and transform our listeners, and we hope that each episode does just that. So as I sign off, I want to wish you and your loved ones a very happy and safe Thanksgiving holiday, and I look forward to having a seat at the table with you all again in two weeks. Whatever you do, do your best to remain safe and prevent the spread of illness during the season by washing your hands, sanitizing your spaces, and even wearing your masks. Let's slow the spread so we can get back to normal as soon as possible, or whatever our new normal will look like. All right, everyone, God bless you. Thanks again for listening to the Let's Talk About It podcast, and we'll talk again on December 3rd. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Let's Talk About It podcast. We hope something that was said was both informative and transformative in terms of your place in the world and how various systems impact you. One person cannot change everything that's wrong, but one person can begin the process of creating positive change. New episodes of the podcast will be available on Thursdays via your favorite platform, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, or other available networks, so be sure to spread the word about this show. If you have any comments relating to this episode, or suggestions for future episodes, you can submit those by email to talkaboutitpod at iName.com. You can also connect with the show on any of our social media accounts. We can be found on Facebook as the Let's Talk About It podcast, or you can reach our host directly via Instagram or Twitter with the handle at Maurice B, as in boy, 8703. Make sure if you do nothing else, be kind, stay humble, and work hard in all that you do. Until next episode, may love, peace, and blessings rest upon you. Mm-hmm.